0: This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. My first guests have joined me in the studio from Kindon Contemporary Art Triennial. The co directors are here uh, Claire Needham and Kent Wilson. Welcome to you both. Hello, Richard. Thanks for having us. I'm very happy to have you in. Now, for people who don't know Kyneton, up in the Macedon, Macedon Ranges, not too far away from Melbourne, uh, and this is, what, the inaugural triennial?
1: Correct, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, Kyneton is about an hour's drive up the Calder Highway, just past Mount Macedon, um, and there's a whole, uh, a whole bundle of fantastic arts people in Kyneton, and uh, we've got together and put on this terrific project that we're very excited about Claire why have
0: uh, a triennial as opposed to uh, an annual exhibition series a festival or even a biennial why every three years
2: Well, it's slightly practical, I guess, because we all also have full-time jobs while we're running this triennial. Um, But also just, I guess, to give time for artists to really work on a project over a period of time. So many of the artists in the the triennial have actually been working in Kyneton for about 18 months. So they're working directly with the people of Kyneton, the history of Kyneton, the geography, um, the landscape. And so it actually gives time for people to really, I guess, build interesting projects that are really embedded in the town.
0: And so not just embedded in the town, but then responding to the town and its people that's
2: right exactly and fascinating responses so we've specifically invited artists who aren't local artists so we've got one artist who's from vaughan who's um which is just near castlemaine but mostly the artists are from all over australia so they're from sydney and from tasmania and they've been able to um, i guess investigate and probe things that perhaps as locals we wouldn't and they've um created some really fascinating works that give some interesting perspectives on the town and its people.
0: So, Kent, how did you go about selecting the artists for the triennial?
1: Ah, very good question. Well, we are, many of us are curators or arts professionals in our day jobs. You're at La Trobe, for example, aren't you? Correct, yeah, yeah. I'm a senior senior curator at La Trobe Art Institute. Yeah, so part of our day jobs is to keep in touch and uh, observe and research and pay attention to what's happening in the art world. So, um, we... Uh, attentive to what's happening in contemporary art and the artists, as Claire mentioned, the artists that we chose for this particular event uh, were artists that work in ways that engage with, uh, with community, engage with site-specific um, interactions with their, with their work. So we had just been keeping an eye on uh, what artists were doing throughout Australia and we selected artists that we thought would uh, respond best and put in a sort of solid engagement and research of, of the town of Kyneton. It strikes me
0: as part of a something I've been reading a, a bit about. I mean, I'm more focused on the performing arts than the visual arts. But at Arts Hub, my colleague, Gina Fairley, writes uh, sp- specifically about the visual arts. And it seems like regional Victorian towns uh, uh, and regional Australian towns more generally, uh, that embedding visual arts within a regional setting is really going to, it really seems to be a, a trend over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, that's right. We've we've seen that too. There's a couple of other f- festival events or, or arts events around Australia that have sort of really uh, taken off over recent times. There's Cementa in New South Wales, Unconformity in Tasmania recently. I think there's um, there's a possibly a variety of reasons that's happening. To sort of speak on behalf of Kyneton, I think part of it is because the difficulty for artists living in inner city is 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 growing with the housing affordability. So there's a whole lot of artists that have moved to Kyneton in the last decade in order to find space to to make work. So you can rent or buy a house in Kyneton that will have uh, commonly have a shed, so you can turn that into a studio space, or you might be able to afford a three-bedroom house instead of a flat, and you can turn a a bedroom into a studio space. So there's a sort of a movement, I think, of creative people into these areas for one part. There's also, I think, potentially a, a growing understanding that arts has a wonderful potential for engaging community both um sort of culturally and economically up where we are Claire and I both work at Bendigo based at Bendigo there's often talk of the Bendigo effect and the nature that the um and the impact that the gallery has had up there on the local economy so I think a lot of regional centers are aware that that arts are a way of activating communities again both culturally and economically And Claire, how are the community up in Kyneton responding to this influx of
0: artists?
2: So I was just thinking too about your question. I think the thing about smaller towns too is there's a a connectivity between people. So, you know, we're running into people down the street that um, own businesses and places that they're offering up for artists to work in. So I think there's a, I guess there's a closeness of people rubbing shoulders with each other in that creative buzz and energy. And I guess that's a little bit too around the theme of force fields is that It's like a magnet to Kyneton. There's all these sort of fascinating ideas and energies um, coming in. But also there is the community that's been in Kyneton a really long time. And I've lived in Kyneton for um, almost nine years now. But there's no way I could even think to call myself a local. (laughs) I'm certainly only not even the second generation. So um, I guess... the idea too was to get some of the artists to engage very directly with those communities so there's an artist georgie mattingly who's been doing an artist in residency at an aged care facility in kyneton specifically um learning about the stories of you know the older residents of kyneton that have lived and worked in industries particularly that have um you know were once booming and have now closed down
1: that's a good point, actually, because Kyneton, the reason a lot of people choose to move to Castlemaine or Kyneton or other areas like that is because there already was and is a strong cultural and artistic life, so it's not as if suddenly a whole bunch of economic refugees are flooded out of the city looking for studio spaces in these towns. They've... Some of that's part of the case, but there's always been a strong creative community in these towns um, and it's been really great act actually engaging with a, with a lot of that. So Margaret, for example, who's offered up a space for us to use for Elvis Richardson's work, has a wonderful gallery space on Piper Street and she's been exhibiting her work in her own home for, for many years and she started on Mollison Street before that. So for us to be able to engage um, the sort of the newcomers and the, the older traditional people, um, people of the town. It's been really wonderful and, and everyone's responding very well to it. It's been great.
0: Now Claire, you mentioned Force Fields, which is kind of the 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 what the, the theme, the provocation of this inaugural uh, kind and Contemporary Art Trainal, which is happening this weekend uh and, and beyond, kicking off uh, this Saturday, the fourteenth of April and running through until the twenty second of April. Why Force Fields?
2: A little bit what I just mentioned before in terms of that sort of energy that's drawing people to Kyneton and that also then the creative energy that's being pushed out from Kyneton. I think there's obviously the food culture in Kyneton, the music culture that have got a really, um, a good traction across Melbourne at least, but further afield as well. Um, and so I guess the visual arts, we wanted to really give that a push as well. There's fabulous, like Kent said, things happening already, but, um, I guess, yeah, we're tapping into that energy and that force that was already there. So it's sort of, I guess, a loose theme. There are artists that are directly connected to that, but there are also artists that are, um, I guess, drawn into that and building on that energy.
0: Now, the launch, uh, sorry, the, uh, not the launch, the official opening of the, the triennial is happening this Friday night, 5.30pm, uh, at the Kyneton Mechanics Institute Reserve. I love mechanics institutes in, in country towns. There's something kind of just... Uh, fundamental to them, the way they speak to um, embedding uh, education and art and culture within the local community, and it's great that they're still being used for, yeah. for that as well.
1: Yeah, and it's a it's an important hub in our town, the Clayton Mechanics Institute Institute. And yeah, I agree. I think it's fantastic. But in the towns that they that's a um, an archival record of of the cultural commitment to understanding, learning, training. Um, and so, yes, we have the official ceremonial launch at 5.30. We have a welcome to country smoking ceremony and the sort of official ribbon cutting with the mayor and that, uh, that sort of thing to, to, to launch the event and get it ready for kickoff on first thing on Saturday morning. So if people want to come up
0: and visit the triennial or if people uh, listening are already living in the region and are going, right, I must make sure I, I investigate and visit, uh, what's the, the structure of the program? Can people just dip in and out? Should people drive up from Melbourne and make a day of it, for example? What's your recommendation?
2: Well, we've essentially set it up like a big art treasure hunt across town. So we've um, very decidedly made it very subtle in terms of um, finding things. So you need to buy a pass, which is just $15 and kids are free, um, which you can buy on our website or you can actually come to Kyneton Contemporary Art Triennial HQ um, in the middle of town opposite the supermarket and buy your pass on the ground. And that pass gives you a map and that map essentially gives you the key to find all of these works hidden in unusual places around town so if you're really good at walking and you walk between the sites you could possibly do it within a couple of hours but we would recommend in order to really deeply engage with the works that the artists have put immense time and energy into and that you would yet spend the whole day you would get a lot out of it the idea too is that you would drink coffee in all our fabulous cafes, you might have lunch, you might then stick around and have a drink. And if you're feeling excited about being in Kyneton, caught up in the small town vibe, um, you could also stay the night.
0: Great. It's, uh, so contributing to the local economy as well as having Absolutely. kind of a, a rich art experience. Look, as a final question for you both, how do you intend to, to grow the triennial? Because this is its, what, its inaugural iteration. Right. Uh, and I'm sure there are grand plans afoot.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and one of the strategies for having it every three years would enable us to build the momentum of each one that we do. So, this one is, um, as you say, it's the first one. So, it's quite a learning experience for us going through it. Um, our, uh, our ambitions for it are to, to put it on a national stage. So, it was, it was important for us to invite artists from around Australia. And one of the strategies for that too, and also a reflection, I suppose, of the, the, the theme itself, force fields, the idea that there's an energy within a set of parameters. We wanted to invite artists from across Australia so that they could network with each other as well and meet each other and have an opportunity to spend sort of more quality time together, living together, working together, in order to um, strengthen the Australian art scene as well. Um, So we anticipate that going forward we will continue to drive that aspect and then look to introduce international artists too going forward. Um, And we have... Sort of running parallel to the event itself, a, a series of parallel programs, public programs, where there's things like panel discussions, um, workshops, and f- more fulsome engagements with the artwork as well. And we'll be looking to expand those too as we go on to provide people with opportunities to learn about the art and learn about how to make art, the ideas behind the art. Sounds fantastic. So the
0: inaugural uh, Kinton Contemporary Art Triennial kicking off uh, l- kind of. Uh, effectively from Saturday uh, the 14th, running through until the 22nd of April. Uh, KynetonContemporary.com is the website to go to. Kyneton itself in the Macedon Range is about an hour's drive from Melbourne. So uh, regardless of whether you're already living in the area or if you feel like a day trip, if you're a Melburnian, uh, do check it out, KynetonContemporary.com. Those dates again, the 14th to the 22nd of April. I've been chatting with co-directors of the Triennial, Claire Needham and Kent Wilson. Thank you both very much for coming in.
1: Thanks. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for your time.
0: Now, if uh, you pay attention to the mainstream media, you would know that fairly regularly, particularly when we're approaching, say, a state election, law and order gets talked about a lot. And uh, certain pundits in the media froth at the mouth in uh, almost in in kind of ecstatic agony about the terror of the gang problem. Most recently, we've had the kind of uh, racist iteration of African gang crisis, which of of course is a furphy. But... um, Fulminating about gangs and being concerned about gangs is certainly not a new thing. Um, my parents' generation had bodgies and widgies, for example. Uh, and if you went back even earlier to uh, the eight, the late eighteen hundreds, uh, there were larrikins, kind of, uh, kind of knocking off men's top hats and terrifying women as they walked the block uh, ar- and promenading through uh, the central CBD. Uh, joining us to talk uh, about this theme uh, and in particular a play called Flash Donners which is opening tonight at the La Mama Courthouse Theatre I'm joined by uh, writer and director Graham Dale and also uh, Harriet Robertson who's uh, playing one of the lead roles in the production Flash Donners Graham, Harriet welcome to you both. Hello Richard, thank you. Now just before we go any further I have to do my traditional disclaimer whenever we talk about a La Mama production I'm on the La Mama Committee of Management I do not benefit financially from plugging shows that are on as part of the La Mama autumn program, winter program, whatever you like. But uh, it's a great theatre. That's why I'm happy to volunteer mm. my time there. So, Graeme, yes. why did you write Flash Donners? Why did you want to explore the world of kind of Larrican gang culture?
3: I think it was uh, the first time I came across the term Skeleton Army, which was uh, um, uh, the... Term used to describe uh, Larrikin gangs and their efforts to disrupt Salvation Army meetings when they were walking down the, walking through the streets of Collingwood and Fitzroy because there was a lot of antagonism between um, larrians uh, male and female, and this newly arrived the newly arrived kids on the block who were bringing their religion down into their neighborhoods so when I saw that when I read a report of uh, a couple of thousand Larricans walking down Queensbury Street from Carlton going to North Melbourne. I thought that that is just fantastic, um, and, and the colour and the life that would have been associated with it, and also I grew up in the area and I had a very strong interest in in local local history. Grew up it as a as a kid, so the whole culture of the inner city of Melbourne and that kind of dynamic life. That was represented by larrikin behaviour. I think was part of the reason. It's interesting now that the word
0: larrikin has softened in its usage over oh, the yes. years. So it's, if someone's a bit of a larrikin now, they're, they, they're just they're just they're a, a bit colourful, larger than life, a bit of a knockabout Indeed. kind of. Uh, and interestingly, they usually we usually think of larrikins as knockabout blokes, but here in Flash Donners, you're exploring the world of female larrikins. Harriet, how did you get involved uh, with this production, and what did you know about kind of larrikin gangs beforehand?
4: Oh, nothing at all. Um, yeah, when I, I read the play, it was, it was amazing to see, um, you know, when I picture that time, um, I didn't really know about the Larrican culture and I just don't, um, imagine women in the way that, you know, they were, there were so many people like Cecilia who, um, they were strong women with strong opinions and they were just mucking about the street and they weren't this sort of prim-held, proper um, girls that I had thought, you know, a lot of them were,
0: so... Yeah, so breaking away from those stereotypes of the demure, well-behaved kind of young ladies of the period. Indeed. We're talking kind of uh, knockabout young women who... uh, it's One of the things that fascinates me is the way that these kind of tribal cultures Mm. kind of are echoed across time. Yes. So um, if you go to a... um, uh, a footy game now, for example, yes. you'll find just as many young women in the cheer squad screaming abuse at, at, at the opposition in the same way you would have a hundred years ago. Or, but kind of nonetheless, bec- the because the narratives have so often to date been written by men, they are dominated by male characters. Indeed, Graham, why did you want to kind of turn the gaze back onto the female larricans of the period?
3: Well, um, back in 2013, I started a PhD at Victoria University, and and what I wanted to Focus on and what the title of my PhD is about is um, having young women step out of the shadows. So, I, the, the they were there, but the, in the in the uh, press of the time, the male press of the time, they were just not given their um, their rightful place, and so it was a bit of a gap in the knowledge and I wanted to explore that, bring them to life. Uh, all of the characters in the play, by the way, are based on, on real people. Cecilia Anthony was a young 16-year-old girl who was rescued from an opium den and was arrested uh, because her mother ran an immoral house in Bouverie Street. Um, so that also fascinated me too, looking at real characters and and, their, and the reasons they would have done what they did, having to survive.
0: Harriet, when you read the play, obviously it shone a light onto a world you didn't know about. What did it kind of... What did it give you dramatically from a from an actor's perspective? What made you think that kind of this is something I want to perform in and sink my teeth into?
4: Um, the, the lines that all the females have are really strong and exciting. They're huge characters. Um, and, yeah, the surprising similarity between women these days that really excited me because I thought it would be um, I haven't done a piece from that time I thought it would be way more foreign um, and yeah the also the um, the lightness in the characters despite all the hardship that's going on like they're, they're really going through a lot but you know they're laughing and they're they're going and they're taking the piss out of the salvos and they're just like crazy girls <laughs> despite everything they're going through. I
0: mean, because we're talking about a, a group of young women who've effectively grown up in the slums of the period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So to in order to not romanticise that, great right. to talk to us about your approach in kind of writing these characters.
3: Well, it's an interesting thing, Richard. A lot of people talk to me when they've read the play, they say, did people really talk that way back in the 1880s? And I like to think of it as the the sort of the My Fair Lady syndrome that you have uh, a vision of the 1880s or Victor- late Victorian era as being this, you know, um, you see it through rose-colored glasses. But it was it was a it was a gritty and uh, it was a it was hard hard uh, tucker for for the people involved to get them to you know survive. And to make their way in life, so yeah, I, I think it was the use of language that that certainly brings it out. I really worked very hard on keeping the um, the the language of the day uh, rather than modernising it, and and giving the giving the women in the play their their own voice. I think is another way of doing it. Harry, what kind of language are we talking about here? <laughs>
4: um, give it a bone, will ya? Shut your gob. Collie your mutton for the the (laughs) Lancers. Yeah. All these words that I hadn't heard before, that I would like to incorporate into my life. I think they're fantastic.
0: it <laughs> <laughs> would be great to see that happening because it's one of the things that has happened uh, to the Australian idiom and, and vernacular over mm. the years. Is the kind of from World War Two onwards, the in, the uh, influence of kind of American English on Australian English has Indeed. meant that kind of re, some of the the much more colourful phrases that you, you that used to get kind of bandied about and even written about you know, yeah. have just kind of faded into obscurity.
3: And that's that's another reason. That uh, I was interested in, in bringing that to life because some of that culture, Australian culture, is slowly being forgotten. I think so. It's a pleasure to to sort of bring it to light, and people like it. They they enjoy the um, the obscurity of it at times.
0: <laughs> and what kind of research did um, yourself and the other cast members have to do, Harriet? To, to kind of get you to, I guess, familiarise yourself with this world and these characters?
4: Well, Graham um, provided so much information to all of us. He's got, you know, pictures of some of the characters, police reports on them. Um, It was Mm -hmm. amazing so much information from the yep, Newspapers
3: were a very um, very strong source of information for me. In fact, that's where I first discovered one of the principal characters whose name was Kate Anthony, who was referred to as the Amazon of the Swamp in the police reports. And when I saw that name, I thought, well, I can't go past that. So that was kind of like first step on a journey of discovery in a way. Where was the swamp? They, they're talking about the Collingwood flat, okay, uh, down where uh, Victoria Park uh, footy ground is, which of course was uh, regularly flooded. Um, so yes, it did have its own culture. There was a, probably a little village of its own down there. Because I would was perhaps thinking that
0: I know because. Uh, uh, there, I know there used to be a swamp kind of between North Melbourne
3: and Footscray, for yes, example. Sorry, yes,
0: I wondered if, if it, we were talking about that part of town.
3: But and well, look, I think I think there was a lot of marshy lands sort of north of Fitzroy. I, I, I like the image of Fitzroy being sort of coming to an abrupt stop, and then uh, the bush just takes over, because Melbourne, of course, was still a small and young uh, city by uh, international standards. So it wasn't until the gold boom
0: that uh, Melbourne became the, the huge... Huge kind of international metropolis that, that it that it now is. Or? Well,
3: you know that Melbourne was was officially marvelous Melbourne, mm. and I'm sure you've heard that term. You probably harken back I've to also the heard APG days. Kind of uh, marvelous Melbourne, oh, of course, <laughs> because there was there was virtually no sewerage of any kind, mm. and of course you know like the Yarra River was uh, River was treated like a, a a tip. Everything was just washed into it. So based on the idea that. You know, people thought that uh, germs and sickness could be passed on through smells. It did get that name, yes, marvelous smellborn.
0: Wow. <laughs> now uh, we're getting off the track a little bit. We're talking about oh, it's uh, uh, a <laughs> range of things, but the uh, the play we're discussing is Flash Donners, yes, which is opening tonight at La Mama Courthouse Theatre. It's very appropriate that a play about oh. larrikin gangs is on at the courthouse.
3: Mm. Oh, look, I often think that uh, uh, Kate Anthony regularly, for example. Regularly appeared in many of the different magistrates court and we all wonder i have no evidence of it but we all wonder whether she might have actually turned up at the courthouse at some stage or been locked up over the road in the, <laughs> old, in, in the old carlton police station yes which i'm look was just sold and i haven't had the opportunity didn't get a chance to go in and have a look around I'm sure there are many ghosts in that building oh.
0: so flash donners is the name of the play
3: yes. if you want to check it out it's opening tonight at
0: the courthouse which is located at uh 349 drummond Street Carlton. Tickets are 30 bucks or $20 concession and you can book by calling La Mama on 9347 6142 or jump online au if you want to see Flash Donners, written and directed by Graham Dale uh, and my other guest is Harriet Robertson, one of the cast members. Now, just before I let you both go, mm. you had your first preview last night. How'd it go?
4: Oh, it went really well. Yeah, so much fun. Um, lots of laughs, which was fantastic.
0: So, and... Uh, uh, given that you're both in bright and, and early this morning, I'm suspecting it was a preview that went well rather than sitting up till
3: 3 o'clock in the morning giving the cast uh, notes. No, we'd done that the night before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm looking forward to getting along and seeing Flash Donners myself. You. It's on till the 22nd of April. Thank you both for coming it's in. It's a great Thanks pleasure. Thank us. you, Richard. visual art now and uh, but also visual art that is very significant in that it's uh, documenting concerns about our impact on the environment, and in particular the impact of plastic on the environment. I'm joined by artist Sarah Osman, whose exhibition Hands All Over is on at 45 downstairs until the 21st of April. Sarah, welcome to Triple
5: R. Hi, Richard. Nice to be here.
0: Lovely to have you in. <laughs> Thank so. You. You're obviously, as as an artist and as an individual, you're concerned about the impact of plastic on the environment. I've been reading recently some horrifying details about um, whales, for example, that have been found washed up because they've choked to death on plastic.
5: That's correct. And it it has been an issue that um, has been in my heart for a long, long time. Um, And... It seems like it's so convenient for us to use it and it's so easy in our lives to use it but um, we're totally forgetting about the damage we're causing in the environment and it's just this attractive thing for us. We're just drawn to it like the bird's drawn to colour. We're just drawn to the plastic and we keep using it and we're using it once and we're throwing it away. And there's more plastic out there than they expecting there's more plastic out there than the fish in certain time of the, <laughs> you know, in 2010 or 20 in the some read-ups that I've, um, some articles that I read. So it's a devastating subject. And I just thought I will try to reuse that plastic and I will try to use it in a fashion sense, which um, I had a fashion background um, for nine years as well. So I created all these outfits using plastic that I found. Um, it was a long procedure to get to nearly thousands of, um, not, not thousands, but you know, nearly thousands of um, milk bottle lids and trying to make outfits out of them or the um, single-use plastic as knives and forks. And yeah, so the, all all the show is about plastic and recycling.
0: So it's the, the sheer volume of plastic in the environment is obviously concerning to everybody. Yeah. Is it your hope that by reutilising these plastics, for example, that you can raise awareness through your art of the damage that we're doing to the environment while also trying to create works that are in and of themselves, beautiful works of art.
5: Yes, that's my whole idea to create, um, try to find the secondary use of plastic instead of using it only one time. But in the same time, I believe we should actually consume less plastic as well. I think the beginning of the problem is we consume too much of a plastic. And it's, I was actually thinking the other day and I said, can I have a plastic-free day in my life? And I thought, can we all have a um, diet, like plastic-free diet in our lives? You know how we have sugar-free diet or we have carb-free diet. Can we do a plastic-free diet? And I just started to think, can I, can I do that? And I realised how difficult it is. I,
0: I know. I was thinking this because... Recently, just going to the supermarket, for example, yeah, you don't use necessarily use a plastic bag. You yeah. take your own kind of uh, cloth or hessian bag to the supermarket. But then you see things like um, individual pieces of fruit wrapped in plastic or if you want to buy yeah. some olives yeah. to take home, you, they come that, in a plastic tub. It's it, of,
5: yeah, it is so difficult. I tr- I'll try to avoid supermarkets as much as possible. But the other thing I taught about, you get up and you first thing you do is brush your teeth. And your toothbrush is plastic. And, and your
0: clothes are probably has pl- pl- polyester. Yeah.
5: And yeah. you go, you can, you can actually try to live without plastic or polyester in your clothes. But I just went, how could I do it without a toothbrush? or toothpaste in the morning because it comes in a plastic tube. Your shampoo comes in a plastic tube. And sadly, my camera has plastic in it as well. So it is really hard to avoid it. It's great to be able to avoid it as much as possible. But in the same time, if we're using it, we should actually find a way of reusing it as well.
0: And, and, and thus the, the, the kind of the fabric or the garments that you've created out of out of plastic, kind of reusing, repurposing plastic. And you've not only then made these garments but you've documented them through your photographic practice which yes. forms the exhibition.
5: Yes, and I was actually really lucky to have a beautiful model shooting those as well, um, Nicola Mattier. So she was fantastic um, pausing them, really comfortable front of the camera. And the other thing is I try to use as much as colour because... I think colour was the attractive sight in the images and that's how, you know, um, plastic is attractive to us and that I just made the connection there with the colour and being attractive and in the same time, actually plastic doesn't look ugly in my images because we actually attracted to them but they, the silent killer as well, as beautiful as they look, they the killer in the in the concept as well.
0: If you want to see some samples of Sarah App's work while we're talking, you can jump online to uh, the 45 Downstairs website which is www.45downstairs.com, all one word. Uh, and that's the the words 45 rather than the, the numeral, so 45downstairs.com. Uh, and you can see samples of her of her imagery which uh, shows both the, the repurposed plastics as clothes uh, and kind of like the, the hero image, for example, which is the this almost um, egg-like uh, or, or uh, kind of a globe-like dress made out of repurposed plastics worn by the model. But one of the other images which is really striking for me is the image of uh, kind of just a sheet of yellow plastic floating in the water. It seems to have a life of its own and it speaks to the just the the impact of plastic on the environment. I The fact that... In our daily lives, we're now consuming microfibres of plastic in our drinking water and in our, in our food because it's, they're just permeating the environment.
5: That's, that's correct. And I just I just think that there's so much plastic out there and we haven't recycled. Some part of me goes, why are we creating more? We should actually just collect all the plastic we've, we already created and reuse them why can't we recycle all the plastics in the oceans or you know all, all the plastics we throw out as well so there's all these questions and I try to explore all these thought processes in my work and that yellow plastic is actually in the ocean just floating but it could have been a reusable object could have an extra use out of it as well rather than going and killing some other creatures there as well. Now,
0: Sarah, how did you get to the point in your career where this mm. became an interest for you? Because you've mentioned, um, we've talked about the fact that yeah. your practice uh, has involved fashion. Yes. You're, uh, you're primarily known as a photographic artist and in particular uh, I know your practice has looked at kind of landscape, for example, an abstract yeah. landscape. So why kind of... What was it that sparked this awareness that we have to do more about plastic and, and focusing on this, this for this particular exhibition?
5: It's going to sound bizarre, but I started with coffee cups. I just... Um, probably it was a couple of years ago, the awareness of how many coffee cups we're throwing out and them not being recycled and we're thinking are we recycling them and we're doing the right thing and then suddenly I started to shoot the coffee cups which is actually not part of my exhibition and that's where it all started from coffee cups and then I went into more in plastic and it's it's interesting because I used to use lots of black and white photography and I moved into total colour with these images and everything is blue as well um I had to have the blue skies I had to um I stayed away from green as much as possible um but yeah it just started from coffee cups and moved on (laughs) and why use
0: so much blue in the work
5: I was questioning that so many times and I realised, well, I grew up grew up in an island so I'm originally from Cyprus and I grew up near a water and blue is the colour for calmness, I think, for me or colour of happiness. So everything I do, I look for blue and even um, I stayed away near the beach waterside for a long time and every time I climbed up the hill, I looked down to see the water in any city I went to. So I somehow, being an islander, I was a blue-obsessed person and I think that's reflected in my images as well.
0: It fascinates me then that on one level the images are, I mean, they are beautifully composed and shot but they're they're meant to alarm us on one level. Um, they, they, They are meant to make us concerned about danger and damage Mm -hmm. and the the, our impact on the environment but you're juxtaposing that with calmness and happiness of of blue simultaneously i know
5: but in the same time i think that's how we see the plastic so we we actually we 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 find it really comforting like how i find comforting for the beach we find really comforting to have a takeaway cup and just throw it out because it's so convenient and we don't have to actually wash it or it's it's just that calmness convenience but behind that there's the danger as well so i try to show both of the sides in my images you can see all the beauty and the use of plastic, but in the same time, we all know deep in our hearts the danger it causes as well.
0: So danger and simplicity combined. Yeah. The exhibition by Sarah Osman is called Hands All Over. It's on until the 21st of April at 45 downstairs. It's her first solo exhibition in Melbourne, so congratulations. Thank you. It must feel kind of relieving in some ways to build up a body of work and just finally get it over and done by putting it on display.
5: It has, and it has been something that's been in my heart for a long time. I think growing up... You know, people they used to ask people what do you want to be and they you know people's answer will be a doctor fire engine and i always wanted to be a uh, painter i didn't even know what photography was so i was, used to be a painter and it's finally getting into the area that i wanted to be and creating a whole work so i'm i'm happy about it but i'm not happy the damage we're causing <laughs>
0: So the exhibition hands all over uh, a comment on convenience, industrialisation, and our impact on the natural world. Uh, on now at forty five downstairs, located at forty five Flinders Lane, Melbourne, uh, until the twenty first of April. The gallery is open Tuesdays to Friday, eleven a.m. till five p.m. and Saturdays from midday till four p.m. The exhibition is free. So uh, thank you so much for joining us here at Triple R.
5: Thank you for having me, Richard.